listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the program. It is Friday. Who's got jokes? Anybody got a joke to finish the week with? Well, keep it to yourself. No jokes. No jokes allowed. Because the fact of the matter is, folks, you got to be so careful these days. You do. You got to be careful with what you say because if you say the wrong thing, next thing you know, you have created outrage. Now, maybe you deserve it. Maybe you deserve outrage. I'm going to tell you about what's happened with a CTV reporter in just a second. And I'm going to tell you about that and tell you about why that's got a chilling effect on everybody in the media. No more jokes. Please, no more jokes. No jokes allowed. Doug Ford? Doug Ford? Anybody? Okay. I'm going out that way. Any last questions before I go? Yeah, I do actually have a question, Doug. Thank you very much. That is Doug Ford this morning. Any last questions before I head out that way? I'm going that way. Doug Ford this morning at a uh, college announcement in uh, Brampton. Uh, and the the main question that he was asked today, and I want to play this clip for you because I think it's really important. You know that negotiations st- are still underway uh, downtown uh, between the Elementary Teachers Federation, which is promising to ramp up uh, labor unrest next week. We'll go out uh, two days, one day full province-wide on Thursday, uh, and then another rotating day. If you have kids in the Toronto system, it would be Friday, so your kids would be out of school Thursday and Friday of next week for elementary teachers of Ontario, different for different boards, so check that. But that'll all happen. That's going ahead if they do not get a deal today, if they do not get a deal. Right now they're talking, so that's good. They've been talking for a couple of days. That's good. They haven't stormed off, taking my ball, and I'm, I'm going home. Wait a minute, is that a joke? No more jokes! Thank you. So listen to this. This is Doug Ford. No jokes. This is Doug Ford talking about the negotiations. And listen at the end here. This is so important. Listen at the end to what he says. I support the hardworking men and women that are out there every single day. And I always differentiate between the hardworking frontline people and the head of their, the unions. And uh, But we're working hard with the head of the unions and we're going to do everything we can to, to get a deal. I know they've been at the table, and they're going to stay there until uh, we strike a deal. So, well, well, hold on. What's that bit at the end? They're going to st- they are going to stay till we get a deal. Till the, they're just going to stay at. Well, that's not exactly probably how it's going to work. I mean, and, unless he is saying something, unless the premier is saying something there that we don't know, which is that his minister has been instructed to keep negotiators at the table until they get a deal, because there's a mediator there. And keep in mind that the mediator is the one that called these two parties back. So they are at the table. That's good news. But the word from leaking out is that things are not going that great. Now, we don't know. We don't know what's going on inside the negotiating room. But interesting to hear the premier say there that they're going to stay at the table till they get a deal. Obviously, if you've got kids in the system, you are watching that very closely. Stay with us here on Global News Radio throughout the course of the day. We will bring you an update as soon as we get it from the ongoing negotiations which are happening 
in Toronto and affect kids right across this province. So much going on next week in terms of all the different unions. There are some negotiations planned next week. If you have kids in high school, OSSTF is planning one-day walkouts. They announced which schools will be hit, which school boards will be hit next week. And it's a rotating thing again, so you've got to keep on top of you know when your school board is going to get hit. Let's flip to a coronavirus now and an update that the man who uh, in his 50s was the first confirmed case of the new coronavirus in Canada has now been released from hospital. He is out of hospital. He's gone home. He and his wife are now together. She is the second confirmed case. These are the only two confirmed cases. We have one presumptive case in Vancouver. Likely will come back as confirmed, but these are the first two confirmed cases. They are both now at home. Uh, recovering. And that is great news, great news that they are okay, and gives you a sense of, you know, what level of panic you should likely have, right? So if we have if we have two confirmed cases and they are both out of hospital, they are well enough to be out of hospital and to be isolated at home, I, I think maybe we can tamp down the panic, even though the WHO yesterday declared a global emergency. I know when I, when I heard that, did, did you feel the same way when you heard that? You're like, oh man, here we go. Please remain calm. I, it's difficult for me because I may have mentioned I have a irrational fear of pandemics. Mostly probably from watching movies. M- mostly from zombie movies. That's, I mean, it's, it, I, I, I stress, it is irrational. It is Alan, ir- Alan, Alan. <laughs> thank, thank you. Thank you, Premier. But I want to talk about this. And this is going to be tricky. A source speaking to the post-millennial has just updated this a couple of hours ago. Peter Ackman is a reporter with CTV. He works with W5. And according to Post Millennial, it appears Peter Ackman is no longer working at CTV. His profile no longer appears on the W5 team blog or the bio page, where it was just a couple of days ago. And his CTV profile has been removed from the website. Cancelled. (laughs) It appears that Peter has been cancelled. He has been disappeared. I mean, in media terms. Cancelled. Why? Because, and you may have heard this a short while ago, he posted something remarkably dumb on Twitter. He was getting his hair cut at his barber, and he had a picture of himself and his barber, who's Chinese-Canadian, and is wearing a mask, and he said, hopefully all I got here was a haircut today. No jokes, please. No more jokes! Well, that did not, as you might imagine, go over well. He was lit up on Twitter about it. People accused him of racism. He apologized. He deleted the tweet. He has a sort of a boilerplate apology that he has posted to Twitter a number of times in response to people. By the way, I I should say that that Peter has not responded at all. He has not made any public... uh, a statement that I have seen yet, Peter Ekman. I, I have met him. You know, you, you work in TV circles, in journalism circles. You just meet people. I don't. I don't know him, but I mean, I. I. I wonder, like, really, this is, is this a firing offense? What do you think? I. I will tell you that my contract. I have a TV contract. I'm a t- I don't know if you know this, but I happen to anchor the news on Global. I have for a while. But five years now, I've been working at Global for 20. So I have a special contract. And my contract in it, it says specifically, 
if I cause embarrassment or bring disrepute to my employer, which is Chorus Entertainment, that I can be removed for cause. And it also goes on to say that the the decider, who decides that I actually have caused embarrassment to the company, is the company. So the company is the arbiter of whether or not I have transgressed that portion of my contract and I can be removed with cause. Cancelled. Exactly. And that worries me. I host this show uh, on the weekend called Focus Ontario. I don't know if you've seen it. It's a political affairs show. I've been hosting it for a long time. And what I do at the beginning of it is I always have a little bit of a, a it, it's called a cold open. I start with a joke. It, they're generally not funny, but they tend to be topical. So no like, more jokes! So last week, what I, here's what I did. I dropped in, uh, it's always welcome to focus the show that, and then I put a thing. So that last week it was welcome to focus the show that can't find its iodide pills. Right. Of course, that in relation to what happened at the Pickering Nuke plant. I mean, maybe that made you laugh. Maybe it didn't. Well, this week, I just taped Focus just a short while ago. Runs this weekend, 5, 5.30 on Saturday, 11.30 Sunday morning. I had to drop the cold open. I had to drop it. You know why? Because the only thing that's really going on is coronavirus. And you know what? No jokes. No jokes. No more jokes! Interesting. Got to be careful what you say. You want to be a public figure? You're going you're gonna to have to walk a fine line. You have to be careful. I, and it worries me. I'll tell you one thing. I'll tell you this for sure. A. Carter Global is my, my Twitter. I, I'm very active on Twitter. I use Twitter as a, a, a news source. I'm on it too much. But I used to be more engaged in Twitter, you know, firing in a little witticism here and there, a little snark. Yeah, that was my deal. Not anymore. I don't think there's room for it. The the edge, the line between that's funny and that is inappropriate is so fine. It is so fine. And if you go to the other side, if you go to the dark side, well, I think we just talked about what can happen. You are canceled. Welcome back to the program. Just a horrifying accident in Peel region. And uh, right now, police are on the hunt for a vehicle that fled the scene after it ran down a woman who was using a motorized scooter, a sort of a motorized wheelchair, and was hit. And we're going to get you an update uh, from Peel region, the very latest there on the search for that vehicle. We've got some new information about what vehicle they are looking for. Plus, remember that video that uh, you might have seen earlier this month of a dump truck that was just, you know, pushing a car off to the side of the road on the 401? Remember that? Well, I got an update on that coming up as well. But I want to begin with a little bit of politics. Uh, Coming up on March the 7th, the Ontario Liberals will choose their next leader, Premier Doug Ford. Your thoughts on that? Okay. I'm going out that way. Any last questions before I go? (laughs) Again, it's Doug Ford from this morning. Uh, Now, at Focus Ontario, which is a program I uh, anchor on the uh, weekends on Global News, we are speaking with all of the candidates that are running for the top job to replace Kathleen Wynne as leader of the Liberal Party. And this week, a teacher, writer, and former Liberal candidate from London, Kate Graham, 
who joins me from Laurentian University in Sudbury. Kate Graham, welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me on, Alan. This week in a speech, Doug Ford said that he was a businessman first and an elected official second. In that same vein, if you were premier of the province, how would you describe yourself? I would say I am a citizen first and uh, seeking to be a public servant second. I'm running because there's big changes I want to see in our party and in our province, changes that I think many people in Ontario also want to see, and we have an opportunity to, uh, to do some things very differently. Uh, you're in Sudbury because you're making some announcements about some pledges to northern Ontario. One of them is to move civil servant jobs to the north. I'm assuming that would be moving them from Queen's Park. Is that realistic? Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, I want to see a provincial government that is very in touch with communities all across Ontario. You know, today we're in Sudbury speaking to people in northern Ontario. I live in London. I grew up in Exeter. Um, the sentiment is very much the same in the southwest. We want to see a provincial government where the people who are making decisions and implementing programs understand the unique needs of each community in Ontario. For that point, the front runner in this case, or at least the perceived front runners, are all perceived, from the Toronto yes. area. Is it important that the next Liberal leader be from outside of the GTA? I believe very important. So we lost every seat in rural Ontario. We lost uh, small towns. We lost mid-sized cities. Uh, other than Michael Gravel's riding, we lost everywhere except for in our two largest cities. So. As a candidate who grew up in a small town, who lives in a mid-sized city, who comes from a part of Ontario where we have lost support in every single riding, you know, I have a good understanding of the work that we need to do to reconnect with people and the things that they care about in every community in Ontario. You mentioned the 2018 electoral loss. In your mind, what was the major reason behind that? Um, after the election, I led something called the Listening Project, where we reached out, uh, there was a group of us, and we reached out to candidates all across the province and asked them, what do you think happened? You know, what were you hearing at the door? And the number one thing that we heard was a feeling that the party had stopped listening, that the party had lost touch with the things that people care about. You know, you don't have to travel to many communities to learn that people care about different things in different parts of Ontario. And there was a feeling that we moved too far into the halls of Queen's Park. Power was very concentrated in the hands of just a few people. And that's one of the big things that I want to see change. You know, I believe politics is not about taking and holding power. It's about giving power. I want to see empowered people in communities all across the province. I want to rebuild a Liberal Party that is far less hierarchical and where anybody who wants to see some kind of change has an opportunity to do that through our party. Deb Matthews is part of your campaign, longtime Liberal Cabinet Minister. Pat yes. Sorbera, an official in the Wynn government, is also part of your campaign. Does that make you part of the yep. establishment? Does that make you an establishment candidate? <laughs> Um, so I am uh, I'm the youngest in the race. I'm not a former cabinet minister. Throughout this race, I've been reaching out to people for advice and support. And that includes people who have never been involved in politics. You know, my campaign manager is somebody who has never been a part of a political campaign or a political party before. And then I've also reached out to people who have a long political history, people like Deb and Pat, who you mentioned, and also many others, for advice and guidance along the way. And I think that's the path forward for the party. It's to be welcoming new people in, but also drawing on the experience and expertise that only comes with, uh, with being involved in politics for, uh, 
you know, for a number of years. So I'm really happy to have that, that mix on the campaign. Kate, how important is it that the next leader, A, has a seat in the legislature, or B, has any elected experience? Uh, so I think people want to see change in politics. Um, I get the sense that people are pretty fed up with how politics is being done right now. When they see people who've been in politics for a long time, and speech after speech, it feels like they're just talking about winning the next election. It's all about the battle between political parties. I think people are fed up with it. So I represent a different kind of leader. You know, my background, I spent 10 years working in local government where there aren't political parties and people who have different ideas have to get along. I spent time building teams, doing things at a community level. Um, and I think that's the kind of leadership that people want to see. It's less about the number of years you know, that somebody spent at Queen's Park, more about the kind of change that they want to make. So yes, I'm not someone who's a former cabinet minister. I can't talk about you know, 30 years inside the Ontario Liberal Party. I'm here to talk about the future of the party. Kate Graham, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you very much, Alan. And you can watch that interview this weekend on Focus Ontario, Saturday at 5.30. Sunday, 11.30 a.m. Update on that uh, crazy video. You may have seen it earlier this month. A uh, OPP were asking for information about it, where it shows a truck in a car collision on Highway 401, and basically a giant dump truck just pushes the car right off to the side of the road. Went viral. And the initial response from the driver of the truck was, I didn't see the vehicle, didn't know it was there which seemed, I might say, implausible. Here is Carrie Schmidt with an update on the investigation. The officer has spoken to uh, both drivers as well as several independent witnesses. Viewing that uh, video that was posted on social media as well certainly got a lot of attention and uh, based on all the facts that he was able to collect, uh, a charge of careless driving has been laid. So a charge of careless driving in that case. Updating you on that. Let's get to Mississauga. A tragic accident early this morning. A woman is dead. A woman using a motorized scooter, a motorized wheelchair, was hit. And the vehicle did not remain on scene. And right now, Peel police are on the hunt for a vehicle that has damage to its front end, to the passenger side on the front end. Camille Caramali is our global news reporter who is on scene. Hi, Camille. Hi, Alan. Yeah, they've uh, actually been looking for a dark Honda sedan with damage to the front right of the vehicle. That's the only vehicle description they have so far, but Dixie, a long stretch of Dixie here in Mississauga, closed off at Lakeshore as at around 6.40 this morning. A 45-year-old woman in a motorized scooter was struck by a vehicle, and throughout the morning you can see pieces of metal and plastic for about a 10 to 15 uh, meter stretch here, and then you just see an empty motorized scooter. The woman, the 45-year-old woman, was pronounced dead on scene, and as you mentioned, the vehicle did not stay. Now, what police have said was that she was actually in one of the bike lanes. She was, uh, the motorized scooter was actually in the southbound bike lane on Dixie Road, uh, and she was heading north. 
Now, one of the questions that reporters have is, uh, you know, why she was in a bike lane. Police are asking that as well. And there's a, a visible and a notable amount of snow on the sidewalks as well. So many questions as to why this woman was in uh, the bike lane. And uh, now the hunt is on for this uh, this uh, driver that struck this woman and then fled in this terrible and tragic uh, incident. Speaking with Camille Caramali, a Global News reporter who is on scene. And Camille, I watched the press conference this morning from Peel Regional Police, and I also watched the visuals of this as it came in to our Global News system. I, it was tough for me to tell from the visuals. Is there a, a clear or is there actually a sidewalk on either side of the road here? Uh, yeah, there is. But the thing is, it is such a long stretch of Dixie here uh, between Lakeshore and uh, Dundas that, uh, you know, it, it, it it's not completely clear in some sections and it thins out in some areas. But for the most part, throughout that long stretch of Dixie, there is a sidewalk. So once again, the question is why this woman was in the bike lanes. Was it because there was uh, some snow and some concern regarding the weather or, uh, you know, that's the sort of questions that they have. And unfortunately, you know, she she did pass. So uh, they won't be getting answers uh, on, on that front right away. All right. Once again, and this is just to anybody who's out there, what are we on the look for here? We are looking for what kind of vehicle and what kind of damage? So that's uh, what police have said is quite limited at this hour, Alan. It's uh, a dark Honda sedan, uh, dark colored Honda sedan with damage very, very visible damage. Uh, uh, as you can imagine, uh, it struck a motorized scooter on the front right of the vehicle. So once again, a dark-colored Honda sedan with damage on the front right of the vehicle. Thank you, Camille. Appreciate being on the program. Anytime, Alan. All right. So keep your eye out if you're anywhere. It could be really anywhere in the GTA where this vehicle might be, but especially if you live in the Mississauga area, keep your eye out for a vehicle that has damage like that. Also, just another just another example of a, like when you look at those roads well i mean let's not get into why this person was on the bike lane it's still a bike lane it's still an area that is reserved for vulnerable road users right and you get a road like that like dixie where people are just flying and what is what's a bike lane out there it's a it's paint it's paint it's not a bike lane I want to get you up to date with what's going on with coronavirus around the world. The United States has raised its warning level for travel to China, and Beijing has now reacted to that, saying it was inappropriate. The U.S. and other countries, including Canada, have taken uh, measures to prevent travel. Of course, Canada has said to avoid all unnecessary travel to China. Air Canada has suspended all of its flights directly to mainland China. And now, this morning, just in the last few hours, a number of major American airlines have followed suit, canceled flights to mainland China. So that continues to on go or going on with the flight restrictions into China. Meanwhile, in Wuhan, Miriam LaRoche is a 25-year-old Canadian who is studying in that city. She says the Canadian embassy has told her to be ready to evacuate at short notice, although at this point she hasn't been given a date or a time. I'm like following everything that they said that we have to do. Like I'm always wearing a mask whenever I go out. I take my temperature. I try to stay busy most of the time, but it's kind of hard. Meanwhile, 
A number of news organizations have posted absolutely eerie footage from Wuhan, drone footage just basically circling around this city of millions and millions, and it is absolutely desolate. Roads, empty. Here is the Prime Minister talking about the federal government's deliberate process to get Canadians out. He was speaking in Montreal, and Trudeau also said here in this clip that Canada is involved in world efforts to contain the virus. We are, of course, uh, engaging with the World Health Organization. Our chief medical officer, Dr. Tam, uh, is actually an expert who is called upon by the World Health Organization for her insights on how to handle things. So Canada is very present in helping out the international community. In Hong Kong, Hong Kong's leader Carrie Lam is resisting pressure to shut down the border with mainland China to stem the spread of coronavirus. Medical workers in Hong Kong have threatened to strike if the government does not close the border. And some restaurant owners have echoed calls to bar all visitors from the mainland. Here is Ian Pinnell from Hong Kong. Hundreds of people are now lined all the way around the block because this store here has just got a supply of face masks. But they're being tightly rationed and that's the situation across Hong Kong. That is Ian Pinnell reporting from Hong Kong. Hong Kong this week has suspended ferry and high-speed trains to the mainland and has already closed down six small border checkpoints. Meanwhile, in Florida, in advance of the Super Bowl, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis says state and federal health officials are keeping a close watch on visitors traveling to South Florida for the Super Bowl. Quote, when you have an event of that magnitude, there is a whole host of things in terms of security that are significant, but this is certainly one of them, DeSantis said, referring to coronavirus. And speaking of the Super Bowl, the NFL is going to have a new leader after the weekend. Here's Jim Ryan in Miami talking about how the tilt between the Chiefs and the 49ers is going to set records. All 65,000 seats at Hard Rock Stadium are expected to be occupied on Sunday evening at kickoff time. And nothing about this game is cheap. The average resale price for tickets is approaching $7,000 on SeatGeek, easily beating last year's Patriots-Rams contest. As for TV advertising, the going rate for a 30-second commercial is around $5.5 million. Man, that is a lot of chicken wings. And for a lot of people this weekend, it's not about the game. I'm just here for the food. Okay, Boomer. According to a new report from Google, buffalo chicken dip is the most searched game day recipe since 2004. The scoopable take on classic chicken wings includes some variation of the following. You got your, your cheddar, your cream cheese, your sour cream, your cooked chicken, your hot sauce, your crumbled blue cheese topping, chips, carrots, celery for dipping. Mm. I want me that beer. When Americans, or Canadians for that matter, aren't diving into buffalo chicken dip, what are we eating at our Super Bowl parties? Well, it turns out, it's all about the dips. The most popular recipes after buffalo chicken dip, you got your seven-layer dip, you got your chili, you got your spinach artichoke dip, you got your taco dip, which is defined as cream cheese and sour cream topped with taco, taco fixings. Mm. So that is underway this weekend. Get out the elastic waistband pants. We're going to be watching some football.
We have developing news on coronavirus here in Ontario. This has just popped into my inbox. Ontario's Chief Medical Officer of Health, the Associate Chief Medical Officer of Health, are going to hold a media briefing this afternoon at Queen's Park at 2.30 p.m. Now, you may say, well, wait a minute, Alan, I've seen them do that all week. Why is that interesting? That's, uh, that's standard, is it not? And it may just be standard. However, they had previously committed to regular updates on Mondays and Thursdays. They put a big note about it saying, this is what we're going to do for as long as it's underway. We're going to do an update on Mondays and Thursdays. So this is a hastily called, a hastily called press conference in just two hours' time. That may mean there is news developing on the coronavirus in Ontario. Stay with us here on Global News Radio. We will bring that to you as we get that information. Once again, 2.30 this afternoon, an update from Ontario's Chief Medical Officer of Health talking about coronavirus and developments, possible developments here in Ontario. It is time to talk pop culture, and for that, my regular Friday guest, Laura Hensley, who is a Global News Online journalist, is with me in studio. Hello, Laura. Hi, Alan. And also joining us is the producer of this program, Shiva Siddiqui, who is in a glass-sealed booth away from us. Because <laughs> away from you. Just away from me in particular. Yes. All right. Let's begin with this hashtag... Girl Dad. You may have heard of this in the wake of the tragic death of Kobe Bryant and his teenage daughter. There was a, I believe at ESPN, a uh, an anchor there who told a story about how, you know, she encountered uh, Kobe and Kobe expressed a real, you know, love and, and pride for his daughter. And anyway, that morphed into this hashtag that has been shared around the world, people posting them pictures of themselves, dads posting a picture of themselves with their daughters with the hashtag Girl Dad. And writing in the New York Daily News, Alex Grinnell had this to say, quote, As genuine as their affection may be, Lord knows I love my father and he loves me. The term feels like a pep rally for men who need encouragement to get excited about their daughters. As if supporting her interests and taking an active role in her upbringing does not come standard. Laura, to you, your reaction to hashtag Girl dad. I've really been thinking about this a lot as I've seen it on Twitter throughout the week. And I feel really torn because on one hand, I do think it's da- great for dads to say, you know, I love my daughter. I support my daughter. I think she can do anything a son can do. But on the other hand, I think it's really sad that we're even having this conversation and we need to vocalize that because it should be just sort of standard care that you love your child, whatever gender they are equally. And so it really highlights this idea that men might need women in their lives in order to see these women as people who deserve to be treated equally. Shiva, I know you found this hashtag to be quite powerful this week. Well, it was trending everywhere. Look, we can't deny they're coming from Kobe Bryant's world. There's a double standard in the NBA and the WNBA. Look at what the players make alone. I mean, if a WNBA player max makes up to $200,000, and then you look at the NBA, they're making multi-million dollar deals. So obviously, having that son and passing that torch on as an NBA player is a big deal for these men. And I think Kobe was just trying to show them that, listen, I don't have a son, but my my girl is going to do it. She's going to go take it. And he was actually trying to enforce a lot of... Um, different rules towards the NBA. He was very supportive of that, and they needed that voice. They still need that voice. Well, we'll talk about perhaps Kobe's legacy and Kobe the man himself in, in just a moment, but to the hashtag itself, I 
what I've seen from the hashtag is a lot of famous athletes posting pictures of themselves with their daughters and celebrating what I believe as a father of a daughter is standard. That's just, you just come, that you come to the party with that. I mean, why should we have to point that out? I think you're referring to, specifically, you said athletes. I mean, there's a huge double standard in the athletic world between a female athlete and a male athlete. So I think they're they're rallying together because, yeah, sure, I get where you're coming from. It is, I am torn as well about this hashtag girl dad, but you don't see that in the sports world. Women are not celebrated as much as men are as athletes. Why do we get behind these things, Laura? I don't. Sometimes we just feel like, well, I just got to get in on this hashtag. I think it's really self-congratulatory. You know, you're you're showing the world that you're woke, so to speak, when you're saying, hey, I'm a dad. I have a daughter. I love my daughter. I'm posting a photo of her showing how progressive I am in my relationship with her. And I think, it, to your point, it's just a way of performing this. I would really like to see or know more about these dads. You know, what are they doing in terms of gender equality? Are they advocating in other ways apart from social media? And so so hashtags are trending and they come and they go, but I think meaningful change happens outside of the internet and I would love for more men to step up and make those actions. And I will just one more note on this is I noticed so many of these photos involving young girls, like young daughters, and I think to myself, you don't have permission to put her picture on there. Like, I mean, I know you're the father and you, I mean, you decide and, and, and it's a double standard for me to say that because, you know, you know, when my daughter was younger, I did post pictures of the family together. I don't post any photos of my kids anymore at all. It is a real sea change for me. I think it's, you know, an evolution of how we think about social media might be behind that as well. But I, that worried me as well. It's like, well, you know, your four-year-old daughter's not, you know, saying, dad, can you put that hashtag on? Let's move to uh, more on Kobe with the Washington Post Tuesday reinstating a reporter who it had placed on administrative leave after she tweeted a story referencing the 2003 rape allegations against Kobe Bryant. And she tweeted that just a few hours after the helicopter crash. The action was initially taken against Felicia Sanmez, who covers politics for the Post on Sunday. After her tweet referenced a 2016 article on BuzzFeed, but after an investigation into the matter, the Post newsroom managers decided that no further action against her was warranted and that they had been out of line in publicly disciplining her. Your thoughts on this, first of all, on what's happened to that reporter, Laura, and also the bigger question of how do we talk about Kobe in his entire life? Well, I think this reporter, you know, received really unfair treatment. I think the post removing her, temporarily removing her, was a bit of a swift reaction. And also, this woman was receiving death threats for her tweet. And all she did was retweet an article that had been in the public record for years, pointing out that Kobe has this history. So I think the reaction to her tweet really highlighted a cultural divide. And that was those who want to remember what Kobe did and those who don't. And because we lost him in such a tragic way, I think people's emotions are really heightened and they felt like it was incredibly insensitive for her to even bring up something that happened in his past. Shiva, you know, you and I had a conversation before we went on air earlier this week just talking about how do we address this, how do we talk about it, how do we be respectful, but still have a complete discussion about the facts. Kobe Bryant has an amazing legacy. He was a superstar athlete, he was an incredible dad, but he was also charged with rape. 
Now, he was never convicted, but with facts are facts. So what happened, I mean, what I find ironic is that not only was Felicia Sanmez accused getting death threats, she was also getting rape threats. Where are we? What does that say about us as a society? I'm very disappointed that she was put on leave. It says a lot about the Washington Post as well. Um, they did release a statement about that, and they did do an investigation and say that she had not acted uh, against any of their policies. Uh, however, uh, facts are facts, and Kobe was accused of rape. I, it is it is so interesting. I, I I'm trying to wrap my head around it and wrap my head around you know how do you have a discussion in the in the hours after somebody who is an icon passes and be able to have a complete discussion about them um, and and I I'm not sure if there is an easy answer. What I find also interesting is that I think the people who are absolutely outraged at this tweet are the same people who will be outraged when they perceive you know any kind of uh, lack of freedom of speech for a belief that they hold. I think people on social media are so quick to react. And I think we also hold celebrities on this pedestal in which we think anything they do is perfect. They should not be held to the same standards as other people. And so when someone like Kobe Bryant, who is a celebrated athlete who so many people love and look up to, passes in such a tragic way, I think there's this immediate reaction to defend his honor. And I think we saw some really horrible reactions on Twitter, especially to this journalist. And that does come to how do we talk about people who pass, who have also done some really bad and good things. It needs to be nuanced. I don't know if we have time for this. Do I have time for David Schwimmer? Real quick, this David Schwimmer thing. I want to move to this because, Laura, this, what, so David Schwimmer says something about, you know, when he was on Friends, he recognized that it was just way too white and he tried to push for, you know, some diversity on it, but then he got himself into some trouble. And again, here we go back to this outrage factory again. So David Schwimmer is not friends with everyone right now. He was speaking in an interview in The Guardian and he said that he was very uh, aware of his privilege and friends and that he really tried to push for diverse cast. Um, but, you know, he he pointed out maybe we should have an all-Asian friends reboot. Maybe we should have an all-black friends reboot. <laughs> to which people said, hey, there was an all-black version of Friends. It was called Living Single, and it was made before Friends was. This Friends was created on the premise of Living Single. So David kind of got himself in hot water and, again, sort of showed his privilege or his disconnect Really? I mean, just because he didn't know where it came from? I like, mean, seriously? He, We're going to dump he, him over this? He should be canceled. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right. Uh, Shiba Siddiqui, the producer in the glass booth. In quarantine. The quarantine. Self-quarantine. That is a joke. You cannot make that joke. You are now canceled. That, that's racist. You are. That is, yeah. Canceled. Canceled. <laughs> <laughs>